Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. And um, for some who've been gone over the break, just want to say welcome back. Um, my name's Tyler Hardy. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And um, we're glad that God decided to bring the wintry weather back. So uh, I, someone told me earlier they feel like they were living in Seattle. Nope, we're still in Bryan College Station. Um, and uh, just thankful to be here this morning. You know, one other note just about World Mandate is, again, if, you, if you've never been, we do this conference once a year. Um, there's actually 15 different sites that are hosting World Mandate at the same time. Um, everything we do here is live except for the communicators. They're actually being streamed in from Antioch, Waco, and uh, every year it's a powerful time as we gather together. It's Friday night. Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and Saturday evening. And so it's four big main sessions. And again, there are so many stories over the last 25 plus years of World Mandate happening is how long it's been happening, of people literally kind of getting clarity from the Lord on the next step in their life, getting clarity from God on current things going on or what maybe the future holds. And I can't describe it to you as much as I would just say, come experience it with us. But we put a lot of work into it and prep because we know that something special happens in that time. And year after year, people look back and they say, hey, at World Mandate, this is something that happened that really marked me or shaped me. So um, uh, we would encourage you to jump in with us to be a part of it. And again, for families who've got the kids' conference going on, first or sixth grade, it's gonna be ruckus, all right? So last week, Chris did a great job of sharing um, about this idea of us having the sick heart, it's not just an idea, it's reality, of us having a sick heart and then how God gives us a new heart. And you know, in our society today, people, um, like we can all try different ways to help ourselves when we feel sick, right? Um, and so, uh, especially with a sick heart, we may try to medicate it, right? Um, or we may try self-help avenues. Or we may even try religion. But medication, self-help, and religion, none of those things actually will fix your heart. None of those things are the solution. In fact, the only solution, it's actually a one-point solution, and he has a name. His name's Jesus. He's the only solution. And throughout history, throughout society, civilizations, different nations, people have always tried to do different things other than Jesus in order to fix themselves and make themselves better. But where that road leads you in the end is a desperate, lonely, still sick place. It doesn't heal you. It doesn't make you whole. It may numb the pain, right? We're really good at numbing pain, all right, in America. I'll give you some ways we numb pain. Netflix, right? Uh, uh, video games, right? We numb pain with different substance abuses, be it alcohol or drugs. We numb pain by going from relationship to relationship to relationship. We numb pain by thinking about everything else that's going on, but not really thinking about this, right? Like, we numb the pain, maybe it's food. You just keep eating. Eventually, you just kind of, as soon as I feel hungry, I feel sad, just to start eating, right? I mean, guys, we numb the pain in so many different ways. We try to get help in so many different ways, but none of those ways are a long-term solution. They're short-term. They're short-term fixes but they're not solving the problem, right? Chris used illustration in terms of us getting a new heart. He said, whenever you have heart failure, right, and, and then, then what do you do? You can't go and they can't patch up when your heart literally is failing. You actually have to replace it. You have to get a donor. And what's great is in the mind of God, wisdom of God, he gave us a donor, which is Jesus. Like Jesus actually came, and he, in exchange for our sick heart, 
gives us a new one. And Ezekiel, the prophet, prophesied this in Ezekiel 36, 600 years before Jesus started his ministry on earth. This is what it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He's prophesying what Jesus was coming to do. Isn't that cool? He was, Ezekiel was actually in Babylon at the time. His people were not even in Israel. They were off in exile, and yet God was speaking to this man saying, one day, one day your people are gonna get a new heart and a new spirit. Well, now how do we get that new heart, right? How do we get that new spirit, right? We've already said it's not through medication, it's not through self-help, it's not through religion, but Ephesians chapter two lays it out really clearly, and not only does Ephesians chapter two lay out how do we get it, but why we need it, right? Why do we need this new heart? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, starting in verse one, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now let's just pause there. So if you read the Bible and you only just read parts of chapters and verses, you're gonna be discouraged at the time. These first, it's okay, you can say, it. these first three verses are very discouraging. If you didn't pick up on that, what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Ephesus, and I would say he's writing to us, is this. You are wicked people that are actually obeying the devil. The devil actually is labeled here as the prince of the power of the air, right? He's, he, he's a spirit that's at work in these sons of disobedience. So you're thinking, wait a second, he's calling me out as being, and by the way, women, you're not excused here, sons and daughters of disobedience, right? It's like he's saying you were wicked people not just following the devil, but actually obeying him. Now we're going to a whole new realm. It's like, well, wait, you're telling me I'm actually obeying the darkness, the wicked thoughts? I'm actually acting on those? Oh, my gosh. But what's great about the Bible is there's always a but statement. But God, in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of great love that which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is salvation, and this is why we need saving. Right? You may bump into someone, hey, why do I need to be saved? Just read them Ephesians chapter two, the verse three verses. They may, they may not be your friend much longer, but hey. And then, hold on, hold on don't, don't walk away. Let me get to verse four. It gets better, right? Because what it says, why does every human being on the planet Earth need saving? Because we all are born into sin, and we are all born sinful, selfish human beings. Even little, cute little babies, okay? The ones you may go volunteer and work with in children's ministry, they're little sinful guys. It's, it's all about me. Feed me. Yeah. You know, it's just change my diaper. I'm dirty. It's all about me. There's no, there's no servant-heartedness going on in a two-year-old, okay? That's true. I got five kids. I can tell you this, okay? We are born sinful. Cute, 
all right? But born sinful. And so God's solution is, well, man, why? Because we stepped into this broken, dark world, and that's what we need saving. That's what we need God for the but God statement to say, but he's rich in his mercy. He loves you. He knows how messed up you are, but he's got a plan. He's got a solution. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not in your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is so important, guys, because this flies in the face of all teachings and religions that say you have to earn your way to heaven. You have to work your way to God. This flies in the face of it, even at the time and in our modern day. It flies in the face of I need to have my good outweigh my bad. None of those things actually are gonna get you saved. None of those things are actually gonna replace your wicked heart. It may numb it for a season. This is good news, by the way. I wish I, wish I would have called it great news, you know, or fantastic news. You know, the best news ever. Like, this is the greatest news in world history, that we can actually get a new heart in exchange for our yucky, sick heart, and then not only that, not only do you get to have a new heart here on earth, but he says, guess what? That new heart, new covenant continues on for eternity, which means the moment you're saved, there's no looking back. It's only going to get better and better. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like the older we get, the more excited we should get to say, I'm getting closer to heaven. Earth's got some nice stuff, but let me help you understand if you are nervous about heaven, don't be. It is a thousand times better in every way. Taste, touch, feel, experiences, sight, visual, in every way. It is everything you can't even imagine and then more. It is above and beyond. I don't know if there's talking animals or not, but some of you are pet lovers. They're, they're probably talking animals, okay? You wish they could talk on earth, but they can't. But in there, oh my gosh, right? Maybe C.S. Lewis has something going on in Narnia. Who knows? But sometimes we get so caught up in the earthly reality, we're like, oh, I just gotta hang on tight to all my possessions and all my pleasures and all my cool things on earth. It's all gonna go. But what's gonna remain? Did you know what's gonna remain? There's only one thing that's gonna remain from your life. It's your soul. Your shoes won't go with you to heaven. Right? Nor will your 401k nor all the successes you had in business, or all the cool friends you made. That ain't going to heaven. It's the souls of men and women, right? That's what we take with us. So therefore, the investment you make in a people, there is an inheritance for investing your life in loving and caring for people in heaven. That's for sure. Which is why we should put most of our time and energy in this world into people, not into things, right? So just a little side note. If you spend a lot of your time and energy on things other than people, like binge-watching shows and playing video games all day, I'm telling you, that actually doesn't, that's not getting you anywhere in eternity. Because what it's doing is actually replacing what God made you for by entertaining yourself with something that actually is not his plan A. It doesn't mean you can't watch a show. Don't hear me say that. I watch shows. It's fine. But when we start becoming enamored with something other than him is when we start getting off. Do you understand me? So right now I'm on a 21-day Daniel fast, which I'll break that down later, but what that means essentially one of the things we're doing is that we're not drinking any coffee, okay? 
So I drink coffee pretty regularly. People on our staff are drinking in the morning. I drink it during noon. I drink in the afternoon. Okay, I, I do like to coffee. So the first 48 hours, I had a pounding headache. You know why? Because my body said, I need that caffeine. I'm addicted to caffeine. And I knew that. And I was like, I, I knew it. I even told Chris, hey, I'm gearing up. Here we go. First 48 hours, it's going to hurt. But you know what? I haven't had coffee. I feel great today. In three days' time, actually, you can be set free from your addiction to coffee. Did you know that? It's that simple. You just stop. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's actually what the new heart gives you. Did you know that? The new covenant actually provides you spiritual power to look at anything and say, I'm done. Now, I, I don't need a 12-month plan of being off coffee. You don't need a 12-month plan for many things. You need a Spirit of God plan that says, the Spirit of me is greater than he who's in the world, the one I used to obey, but now I obey him. He said, I've already conquered him through the blood of Jesus. Therefore, if my mind is right, my beliefs are right, then it's no big deal. Do you understand? It doesn't mean you may not have some headaches, but it means God will get you through it. All right, back to the message. There we go. So once you're saved, this is good news. Okay, there's a new heart, new life. Now there's going to be a new family you're entering into. So let's fast forward here. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. These are some of the last, these are literally what we have written as the last words of Jesus on earth to people. Okay, so usually when someone's like, you know, their last words, you kind of want to clue in. Like, what was the very last thing he ever said before he went away? This is it, verse 6 through 8. So when they talking about the disciples, had come together. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He answers the disciples' question by saying, there are things that, the, that I can't tell you that only the Father knows, and so you're not privy to that information. But what I can tell you, if you guys would be patient and wait just a little longer, we're going to send the Spirit of God. He's coming. As I go up, he's coming down, and he's going to start doing things you guys have never seen before, but you're going to clue in and realize that it actually was good that I go away. I know you're grieving it now. I know you're sad right now, but I'm telling you it's going to be good that I go away. And so this is what happens. Jesus literally in this moment, he says this statement. He ascends up into heaven. The disciples are there thinking, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And then they kind of start gathering together, just a few of them, right? And so they gather together. They're, they're, um, uh, and as you fast forward into Acts chapter two, they're now gathered together. They're praying. They're there in Jerusalem. They're saying, hey, Jesus said we're supposed to be together and to wait for the spirit of God to come. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know what form it's going to happen. But we've trusted him this far. We're going to trust him now. So there they are, hanging out, praying, Lord Jesus, we know you're gone, but we're still here, you know? And then all of a sudden, wind comes. The power of God comes. This Holy Spirit literally descends on their meeting, and it says distributes to them tongues of fire, which can kind of freak you out, but it's in the Bible. So imagine literally, like in this room, these 
tongues on fire coming onto these different people, and they start speaking a language they don't know. They're speaking whatever in our day, right? Spanish, Italian, whatever. They're speaking different languages. They've never studied it, and what they're sharing out loud, and they can't control it, it's like they are sharing the goodness of God. They're praising God. They're talking about who Jesus is, and they're saying in this language really, 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 really loud. So loud that it says that actually thousands of people started gathering to this house outside of it in Jerusalem. It'd be like, it'd be like in your neighborhood, someone's got a crazy party going on. They're like, what is going on over there? And they go over there and they're looking at these people. They're like, what is going on? And they're like, these guys are all drunk. And Peter's like, they're not drunk. These guys are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And they're like, what is that? Peter goes on to this amazing sermon in Acts chapter two and preaches it. And these people are so caught up in the moment, the Spirit of God is there and the truth is there, right? It's the Spirit, it's the truth and the Spirit working together. Then a group of these people say, it says they were cut to the heart and they say, what must we do? Now you know that's a good message when 3,000 people, what must we do? I mean, they're like ready for it. But it wasn't just Peter's good talking point. He was filled with the Spirit of God, and what he was sharing was resonating to the souls of men and women in that crowd, and they couldn't help but respond. You know what that's called? It's called conviction. That's one of the primary functions and roles of the Spirit of God is to convict us of sin so that we can turn from it, repent, and be made right with God. So that's what Peter says. They say, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're like, okay. So then it says, guess what? That day, over 3,000 people turned their lives around, repented, and gave their lives to the Lord, and that was the church. That's where the church started. Did you know that? That's where the church started, with a very wild event of the Holy Spirit coming, called the Day of Pentecost, and then 3,000 people all getting saved, but then saying, now what? Right? It's like, now what do we do? Well, they just got a new heart. Peter preached to them and told them about this new covenant they'd be stepping into with Jesus. And so now they're now part of a new family. They're part of God's family. And so now what they have to do is understand that when you're part of a new family, there's actually a new lifestyle. Or I'll put it this way, there's a holy rewiring that has to take place. And so we fast forward into Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That's where we're gonna camp for the rest of our time here. And what we see here is a description of these 3,000 people now meeting together in different houses all over the city because they just became followers of Jesus, now filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're saying, now how do we do this thing? And they're saying, this is the church. So it gives us a really good summary of what church, how church started. So before any denomination... Okay, this is pre any Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Episcopal, non-denomination, everything. This is before any denomination existed. This was the original church, right? So therefore, like anything, if you wanna, if you wanna know the right way to do something, you go back to the original, right? You go back to the horse's mouth, right? And so this is what we're gonna look at here in Acts chapter two, and I wanna read this to you because I want you guys to understand this is what the church is meant to look like, act like, and be like. And on the front end, I will say, at Antioch, we want to look like, act like, and be like this. In some ways we are, and in some ways we are not. But this is our guide. So we are pulling back in 2020 this year, we are shifting back in our church Sunday mornings and in our life groups. We are trying to get clear again 
this is how the church is meant to be. Let's start reflecting that in the way that we do things. You got it? So here we go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And I'm going to pause there. What we see is that you see four things they were devoted to in this early church, in these early house gatherings of probably 15, 20, 30 people, whoever could fit in their, in their place. They were devoted to four things, and we're going to see the fruit of that devotion. The four things were this. The first one was the apostles' teaching. Now, what kind of teaching is that? That's actually the teachings of Jesus. The apostles, another word for disciples, they were the same people. They were actually there with Christ, ministering with him, many of them, and they were able to learn from him. And then not only before Christ died on the cross, but once he was resurrected back to life, it says he spent 40 days walking around, continuing to teach and preach and teach people what the ways of the kingdom. So you take all the teaching of Jesus and they started disseminating that, teaching that, discipling that into these people who had just given their faith to Christ, right? So the apostles' teaching was not some like newfound teaching. It was all based and rooted in Jesus. Then the fellowship, so they, were, they had fellowship. That word is koinonia in the Greek, which more or less means a spiritual fellowship or spiritual sharing, meaning that when they had fellowship, when we think of fellowship, sometimes we just think, oh, we're just friends. Yes, but there was a little more to it. What it meant was that I'm actually gonna now uh, contribute to this friendship. I'm gonna share things that are mine. I'm actually gonna share with you. I'm gonna share my heart. I'm gonna be vulnerable. I'm gonna be real. And by the way, my house is your house. It was this idea of real fellowship. Like, hey, we are together in this thingy. Like, th this isn't some flippant, surface-level relationship. We are going deeper here, and deeper means we actually have to back that up with a demonstration of our love and genuine, authentic relationship towards one another. That's the fellowship they had. It wasn't just a social club because it was centered on Jesus. That's why our church is such a diverse mix of people from personalities to skin colors to where we're from, big town, small town, um, uh, whatever we do for jobs, all that sort of stuff, guess what? Most of the people in this room you wouldn't have been best friends with in high school. Think about it. Come on, look around now. Because you weren't friends with them in high school, okay? I'm telling you, but what has pulled us together is Jesus. He is, and so when you pull Jesus at the center, you can bring together all sorts of people because when you're focused on him, it doesn't really matter so much about everyone else's backgrounds or they don't eat the same food I eat or don't like the same shoes I like or whatever. That doesn't really matter because the focus is on him, not on self, right? So they devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. When I studied this, most places I found said this is actually leaning into talking about the Lord's Supper, taking the Lord's Supper. Now, you may not know this, but every single Sunday we have bread and juice or crackers and juice back here on these tables so that you are free to take the Lord's Supper whenever you want. Um, we just took the Lord's Supper in the last couple weeks. We took it up here, headed up here, and people took the Lord's Supper. I think it was last week. It was awesome. We will do that corporately sometimes. But we make it available to you every single Sunday because we see biblically that when the church gathered, the Lord's Supper was part of that and made available. So they were taking the Lord's Supper. Why? Because Jesus said, when you take of this, do this in remembrance of me. They're wanting to remember what Christ had really done and his death and resurrection. That's why you take the Lord's Supper. Then the fourth thing they devoted themselves were prayers, right? Prayers. They were probably interceding for one another. They were 
offering prayers of thanksgiving and praise. They were praying. They were praying for one another and praying for what God was going to do in their city and praying for new believers and praying for sicknesses and things. They were people of prayer. So they were devoted to the teachings of Jesus. They were devoted to taking the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to real fellowship and to praying. Those are the four basics of what this early church was doing when they gathered together, which is why in our life groups, we would call them house churches. That's why we want you to have those things happening as well, which is why we've got work to do, right? Because you may not know this, but we actually want to encourage you to take the Lord's Supper in your life group. You don't have to ask us for approval for that. Biblically speaking, that should be something that should be a regular part of what you could do in your life, your community, right? Um, a fellowship. That's why we encourage you not just to spend time together on Wednesday night or whenever you meet, but to actually do life-on-life -life relationships outside of that. It's not just about a meeting. It's about, hey, can we be each other's birthday parties? Can we go to the movies together? Can we go share the gospel with people on the street together? Can we, can we go on vacation together? Like, it's having that kind of friendship relationship built and formed because it's centered on Jesus. And what was the fruit of that early devotion of the church? It says, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And that's good stuff. You see, all actually means like reverent fear. Like, all came upon them, meaning the presence of God is in our midst. And then what else does it say? Many wonders and signs are being done to the apostles. You see, they had seen Jesus heal the sick. They had seen Jesus touch a man with leprosy and it go away. They'd even seen Jesus call out Lazarus from the tomb, and he came out. They had seen Jesus do miracles and things beyond their wildest imaginations and Yet when Jesus left, he said, um, you guys are gonna do greater things than I did. And so he was empowering them and saying, it doesn't all end with me. The miracles don't end with me. They're gonna continue on. In fact, they're gonna be part of the New Testament church. And here's what I know in life is that when a people are most desperate is when God most shows up. But if you're not desperate in your life, like in your need for God, I'm not saying you have to be really broken and messed up. That's not what I'm trying to say. There is a deep hunger that God responds to is between you and him. And you can't fake it, right? When you're really hungry for the Lord, he loves coming to meet that. He says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and what? You will be filled. He's not lying. That's one of his first statements he says, you know? Hunger and thirst, and you will be filled filled. You can trust him. That was the devotion. That's what was happening. Incredible things happening. We want more of that here. We want that in our church. We want that in our city. We want the power of God on display. We want people to be in this reverent fear. The presence of God is with us in our life groups on Sunday mornings and wherever we're meeting or gathering that God is here, right? That's what we want. We want that kind of atmosphere, that attitude. Now let's continue on to verse 44 through 47. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we talked about what they devoted themselves to, but then it says all who believed were together. That means there is unity. There's something about face-to-face -face that we can't replicate on the phone or through a text. I feel closest to my mom and dad when I'm actually with them in the same room. I can talk to them. We can talk about stories, and that's a great way to communicate. 
But there's just something different when you're face to face. There's something different when you actually gather together as the people. It says they had all things in common, meaning they had a willingness to share. You know, like, man, wouldn't it be cool if the church was known as the least stingy people on the planet? Like, hey, I know it's really generous, those church people. That'd be awesome. I don't think that's said of us, though. It's not. There's a lot of people, oh, the church is just whatever, right? It's just like, just like, I wish the word hypocrisy didn't exist in the church. Or as like the top three ways you would describe someone who's a Christian. Why is that there? Well, because they've experienced enough of it. Right, man, let's pull back and say, no, this is how the church started. This is what God intended. We're gonna pull back into his ways. So whatever we're doing, Lord, that is off, we are willing to change and adapt to get more like Acts 2. We want to be a sharing people. You got a lawnmower? Let someone borrow your lawnmower. You got a truck, someone's moving, and they got a little tiny Corolla? Give them your truck for the weekend. You know, I mean, just help people out. Be a people who share, who's just part of who we are and what we do. It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to any that had need. This is so cool. There are so many stories that I do not have time to share in this church in the last 10 years that people have done, specifically in life groups, which is mainly where we see Acts chapter two lived out in many ways, in life groups, so many people have been taken care of, whether it's $100 or $100,000. We have the gamut of stories, of the generosity of people being willing to sacrifice, to sell. Someone sold a car once to help someone else buy, buy a car and they were left carless. You think that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, but he literally felt God say, I need to sell my car, here's $3,000, I'm gonna help go towards someone else's car, now I got a bike. Doesn't make sense. But you know what? Living this kind of adventure doesn't make sense all the time. Because we're not interested in it all making sense, or all working out for me. We're interested in it being something that God's leading us to, to, and we're more concerned about the whole than we are concerned about just myself. I love that, they were selling possessions, and then it says they were attending the temple together, Day by day, you know, in Acts chapter 20, verse seven, later on in the book of Acts, it says, on the first day of the week, be Sundays, when we were together, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. What does that tell us? That Sunday mornings, that's kind of where we get this idea of we gather together weekly on Sunday mornings, and it's okay if I preach a lot longer. <laughs> because Paul did it, right? <laughs> get on to him. Now, I've never gone to midnight, but hey, who knows? You may have been in some churches where it went long, you know, where like, where like I preach and you're like, Tyler, you're short, you're short, you know. I've been to some services, it's a three-hour sermon, you know, and you're like, okay, just, and you're, you're passing coffee out to people, just everybody stay awake, you know, <laughs> hoping not to do that. But then it also says breaking bread in their homes, right? This is referencing to their meal sharing, they're having meals. This is why we really encourage you to eat with people. That's a good thing. You can say that's a church activity. I'm being a good Christian by eating food with other people. That is, he's like, oh, praise God. You know, it's just natural. Three times a day, you can do it, you know? Like, that is part of what the new church is doing. But they were thankful, right? I wish I could get my kids to memorize this, right? They were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. I, I know it's green, but let's be glad and happy about it, you know? Oh, man, that'd be awesome, right? And this says they were praising God, a reference to worship. They were giving him praise. and They were worshiping together. They were walking around. Man, praise God. Like, this is good. Thank you, God. Like, Having a lifestyle, it wasn't just when they were gathered, but out of how they lived life was a lifestyle saying, we're gonna praise God. And what were the results of all of this activity going on? 
says they were having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Doesn't that sound like a church you want to be a part of? That sounds like an adventure. And they had favor. I mean, what if you had the mayors of the city who are like, man, we love those church people. I mean, they're serving, they're helping out, they're picking up trash at the parks before our teams can even get to them. I mean, they are present, they care about the hard things in our city, they're willing to help. I mean, man, I love, last week you weren't here, at the 9 a.m. service, last week? Two weeks, yeah, last week. At the 9 a.m. service, we had uh, the, the, the administration of Brian ISD, we're up here. They presented us a plaque, really just because we decided to help out with Brian High and we had a team of people who would go in and would just go in at lunch and just hang out with students. And they gave us access. Hey, go and just talk to people about life, what's going on. People are depressed or hurting, and you're welcome to talk to them and share Jesus with them as long as they start the conversation. You can go there. Okay? And I'm just going to tell you, the superintendent at Brian ISD, she's a godly woman, Dr. Whitbeck. We've been in closed-door meetings with her, and she wants this school district to change and understands that it's going to take the faith-based community partnering with the school to actually see transformation. She's inviting us in every three months, and we're having closed-door meetings with her, talking about which churches are going to adopt which schools. As of right now, every single school in Brian ISD is adopted by a church, meaning that that church is praying for that school. They have people going into that school to talk with kids. They have people writing cars to bless the, the, to bless the, the, the teachers, administrators of that school. We've even thrown parties. We've gone as a staff and served them all lunch, the whole staff, but we're saying the church needs to get involved with the schools and want to see transformation happening, right? That is what we want. And when we do that kind of stuff, we're not doing it so they give us a plaque. I, I resisted them for a month. And they eventually like, we have to come and share this with you. I was like, fine, come, you know? Because I, I never want to, I don't want us to boast in ourselves. Do you know what I'm saying? I want us to boast in Jesus. But if you have Jesus in you and you don't share the light, then that's a miss. And so we share the light and Whatever happens, but I'm telling you, God is doing something. We want more favor, not just our church, but we want all the churches. We want the believers in our city to be known as people that are kind, that are serving, that are honest, that are hardworking, that are ready to see the city transformed. Amen? That's our heart's desire. That's what we want. And we know that when we do that, then people will come into the kingdom and be saved, be set free, and have a new restored relationship and a new heart. All right, we're going to close. Let's go and stand up here as we end this morning. How we're going to end this morning is... um. I don't know if you caught this, but, you know, this, this New Testament church didn't just, like, they didn't just get together, some buddies say, hey, let's start church, you know? What happened was that Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, you'll know what to do. They waited. They weren't gathering as a church. They waited. But when the Spirit of God came upon them and 3,000 people were saved, that birthed the church. So what birthed the church? The Spirit of God birthed the church. It wasn't man's or woman's idea. It was a God idea. He birthed the church, and so then when you look in Acts 2, why is the church like that? Because they were people filled with the Spirit of God. They weren't just like, let's just think of something fun to do in our free time. They were filled with the Spirit of God, compelled to say, we're gonna now be the church. So here's what we're gonna do. I want any of our life computers come on up here if you could. Make a way up here to be available. Here's what we're gonna do this morning. Um, we're gonna end by inviting the Spirit of God to come in a fresh way this morning. Because guys, we can't really, 
you can't just look at this list and say, we're just gonna do that and do that and do that if your heart's not in it. Because then it'll become religion. We're not interested in religion. We're interested in a relationship, in a faith-based walk with God. So this morning as, as we close, I just wanna invite you guys in. If you're, if you're here and you say, you know what? I just want someone to pray for me because, man, I just need the Spirit of God on me again. Like, I need a fresh feeling. I need my heart to come alive again. I don't want to... I don't want to go to life group because of a duty. I want it to be a delight. You know, I don't want to get up and read my Bible in the morning because I'm supposed to because I want to. If you're saying this morning, man, I feel like I'm kind of doing stuff because I have to or whatever, I, I want to shift that to say, man, we get to. We get to. And, you know, you know the Spirit of God is on you and moving through your heart and your life when you're like, man, I get to serve. I get to show up to life group. I get to read the Bible. I get to love and minister to someone else. Amen. So I'm gonna pray for us and just these guys are up here. Just anything you need this morning, specifically, just come up and let them pray and minister to you. But if you're also saying, I just want someone to pray over me that I would just have that, that Holy Spirit power on my life again. I need my heart to be kind of recharged again. <laughs> then that's what I wanna do for you. So Jesus, we thank you. We love you. Just welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this place. Because, Lord, we need the Spirit of God to breathe on us in a fresh way so that we can be alive, so that following you, Jesus, is not a duty but a delight. That's our heart's cry. So, Spirit of God, come. Come and breathe. Come and move this morning on us, we pray.